It's Wednesday, May 17th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Rule Breakers and Supernova, David Kratzman. Happy Wednesday. Good to see you, Chris. Good to see you. It's a happy Wednesday for fans of certain NBA franchises. Our franchises. Our fr- <laughs> it was a good night last night. If you're a Celtics fan, it's a good night. If you're a Sacramento Kings fan, good news out of the NBA draft lottery. So, here's hoping that our respective teams don't screw it up. Uh, so far, so good. It's what I, I've I've made this comment before. One of the things I love about opening day for baseball. One of the things I love about the draft, particularly for the NBA and for the NFL, is kind of like investing. Hope. Hope springs eternal when it's opening day in baseball, and the same for you know. NBA and NFL drafts. A whole open field of possibilities. Yes. Yep. Before ultimately the disappointment kicks the, in. <laughs> <laughs> really kicks in. Although your Celtics, they've done pretty well. They're so. doing all right. Yep. They're doing all right. Um, we've got some restaurant earnings we're going to get to, but let's start with Target. Uh, their first quarter profits came in higher than expected. I would say significantly higher than expected. Same store sales fell a little bit. It wasn't too bad. Management, <laughs> I love this quote saying, pleased with Target's performance in light of, quote, a very choppy environment. God, that's putting it mildly <laughs> when you think about retail over the last six to 12 months. Yeah, it has not been an easy time for retailers or restaurants. Definitely a lot of changes and disruptions happening for companies in those spaces. Yeah, I mean, comps were still down 1.3% for. The quarter, but Wall Street was expecting it to fall closer to to four percent. So this really is a case of it wasn't as bad as we thought. So we'll we won't punish the stock. Well, and Ron Gross made this comment on Motley Fool Money last week when we were looking just at particularly last week where you just looked at some of the big general retailers, Macy's, Kohl's, J.C. Penney, that sort of thing, and the results were so bad across the board. And Ron made the point that you know look. Some of these are going out of business. Like not not every, you know this is capitalism. It's not everybody gets a trophy. Some of the and it's unfortunate for the people who are going to lose their jobs, but some of these aren't going to survive. I feel like Target is in a position where they can be one of the survivors. I'm not, I haven't looked too closely at what they're doing in terms of e-commerce lately, but it does seem like they've put up good enough numbers often enough that that they're just in better shape in general. Yeah, I think they're better managed. That uh, They don't break out what percentage digital makes up of their overall sales, but for this quarter, digital sales were up 22%. It seems like pretty consistently over the past year or two years, their digital sales have been growing between a 20 and 30% clip. So, that's nice to see. It's probably still a pretty small portion of overall Revenue and they they also are investing seven billion dollars over the next three years into technology, improving their supply chain. They're remodeling a bunch of stores. They're launching a small format concept where they'll have about a hundred of those locations rolled out over the next three years or so. So they're they're being more proactive, I think, than a lot of retailers, which are just kind of like taking the bad news as it comes and not really. Changing a whole lot in any meaningful way, and and Target still is in pretty solid financial shape. They've generated almost five billion dollars in free cash flow over the past year, so they're not going anywhere. Their dividend and share repurchases will will be able to continue. And I I wouldn't be surprised if Target or Walmart buys someone like Wayfair or something, because I think this e-commerce battle is really going to heat up. And these companies are only going to be able to do so much internally as far as ramping up that e-commerce strategy. So I think you'll you'll see more and more companies like. 
PetSmart recently buying that, uh, I forget what what the name of it was, but it was the largest e-commerce acquisition ever. They it might have been like Chewies.com or something, but essentially an online pet food business. And, okay. and PetSmart spent several, several billion dollars uh, acquiring them within the past month. I think it's inevitable that you'll see Walmart, Target, and some of these other retailers that, despite the troubles, they are still generating a lot of cash, and they have cash they can put to work uh, buying some of those pure play online retailers. I think the smaller footprint locations are going to be interesting to watch. I don't, I don't know if they've gone public with where the location. I, I would be curious to actually walk through one of those and just see how it differs from you know the big target that's just a few miles from Full HQ. Um, and just see w- what they're doing differently because that's, you know, as you said, done correctly, uh, that could be something that they look to grow even more. Yeah, they're expecting to build 30 of them this year. And I, w- I haven't looked into this too much, but I would assume that it's a similar strategy to what Whole Foods is doing with its small 365 concept, where essentially you're able to get the stores closer to consumers. And I think, especially for younger consumers, for the millennials, they they value convenience more than perhaps anything else, and getting those smaller stores with the the key essential top selling items closer to consumers that that could be a good way to go. Red Robin Gourmet Burgers first quarter. I know they lowered guidance coming into this report, but give them credit for crushing the lowered guidance. Uh, it worked. It did work. Uh, stock up seventeen percent this morning. This is a company you know better than I do. How good was this quarter? The the quarter itself was okay. Uh, kind of a similar case to Target, where it wasn't as bad as uh, I think Wall Street was expecting, and and their guidance is promising. And I think this is a company that has been guidance more, for the rest of the for the rest year? of the year. Yeah, okay. they they raised their guidance uh, a bit with earnings per share. They're expecting earnings per share to come in about three dollars this year, which is close to their peak earnings in 2015. So. Essentially, they're saying things are improving. We they especially expect things to improve toward the second half of the year. This is a company that's been proactive despite you know all the different headwinds that have been going on in the restaurant industry over the past couple of years. They're uh, really putting a lot of effort into their digital efforts, online ordering, takeout, things like that. And I think Wall Street recognizes that and is rewarding them for that because a lot of other restaurants I think are getting left behind and. Uh, Salim Basul, who's the CEO of Middleby, um, Tom Gardner, co-founder and CEO of The, the Fool, uh, recently interviewed Salim Basul. And Salim Basul essentially said, the restaurants that are going to stick around are the ones who are going to emulate the Domino's, <laughs> you know, the, the, the pizza right. companies that have just mastered and integrated that digital online ordering into their entire operation. Those are the restaurants that will be able to stick around and thrive. And we've seen that with uh, Panera, and I know we'll, we'll talk a bit more about that. But I, I think Wall Street recognizes that Red Robin is um, putting out the, the, the effort there. And one, one, of the, one of the interesting initiatives here is uh, one of the things is a centralized call center for to go orders. So just Streamlines that whole to go, to go um, ordering process. Ten percent of their uh, corporate-owned stores offer curbside pickup. So essentially, you just drive to the store; they'll bring out your food for you. Uh, that'll be rolled out in about twenty-five percent of their locations this summer. So just different things like that. They're they're being uh, more innovative, I think, than most casual dining chains. They also uh, one of the things they talked about on the conference call at Red Robin was. Prices ticking up just a little bit, and it was one of those things where I just sort of I looked at that and I thought, I think if you're a shareholder, and certainly if you're the CEO of the company, 
you're you're really looking to do that even a little bit more. I think prices went, you know, they raised prices something like 1.2% or something like that. Like that's the sort of thing where okay, that's it's that's better than lowering prices. It's better than discounting, which we'll 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 get to discounting at restaurants in a second. Um, but I think if you can if you can bump that up a little more, if you can do that a couple of quarters a year, then then it starts to have a meaningful impact on your gross margins. Yeah, and that offsets the traffic losses that a lot of restaurants and especially casual diners have been seeing. So, given the the initiatives that they're doing, I, I think. Again, customers right now value convenience almost more than anything else. So they like being able to to order online or call in a customized order. And when they do that, they typically order more stuff too. So it just brings yourself to the customer. And then, ideally, as you get more people uh, going through those stores, even if it's virtually, uh, the the volume, the sales that those stores generate uh, goes up, and then your margins really improve. So I think Red Robin is in a night. They're positioning themselves. Uh, it, in a good place if if they can keep that traffic going. Jack in the Box second quarter profits came in higher than expected, which is fine. That's you know that's always nice. But I think what's really pushing the stock up five six percent today is the news that Jack in the Box has hired Morgan Stanley to help explore the the potential sale of Qdoba. Jack in the Box is the parent company of Qdoba Mexican Eats. I think they have, and I'm I'm ballparking here, but they've got roughly three times as many Jack in the Box burger places as they do Qdoba Mexican restaurants. I, there are a couple things I don't understand about this. Me too. <laughs> um, <laughs> damn it! I was hoping you were going to have all the answers. I um, wish. Lenny Kama, who's the CEO at Jack in the Box, um, when he talked about hiring Morgan Stanley, he said of Qdoba. Relative to Jack in the Box, yeah, they've got two different business models. Really? Because they're both restaurants. They're both. I get that they're two different foods. How are they two different business models? That's a very good question. Yeah, I, I don't understand the logic there. They have a very loose definition of business model because yeah, you're you're selling food. One of them, you know, Jack in the Box is more your traditional quick serve restaurant or fast food restaurant. Qdoba is more the fast casual restaurant that emulates Chipotle, but at the end of the day, they're both selling food. They're both <laughs> customers are paying for the food the same way. So I, I don't see them being different business models as a very good reason to justify looking to spin it out. If you go back three or four years, the story with Jack in the Box, in terms of whatever their quarterly earnings report was, basically went like this. Same store sales at the burger places up two to four percent. Same store sales at Qdoba up double digits, anywhere from ten to, in some cases, you know, closing in on twenty percent same store sales growth. Qdoba was really carrying the water for this company for a long time, and I, I guess I question the timing of this in part because, yes, same store sales at Qdoba. For the for this quarter and for the last couple, not doing as well as Jack in the Box, but wasn't the time for this move a year ago, when when Chipotle was on the ropes? Like if you're Jack in the Box and you're thinking, okay, what's the maximum value we can get from spinning this off? I feel like it was a year ago when when Chipotle's same store sales were falling through the floor. Yeah, in the CEO's comments that you mentioned, he said that it's become. It's become more apparent to them that 
Jack in the Box's valuation is impacted by having two different business models, and that is just a head head scratcher to me. Because evaluate so, and that implies that Qdoba is bringing down Jack in the Box's value because they've they've struggled over the past year. But a lot of restaurants and fast casual, in particular, ha- have struggled. But Qdoba's uh, same store sales they grew six percent in 2014, uh, almost ten percent in 2015, and then they uh, only grew one point four percent in 2016, and then uh, they actually dropped in this most recent quarter. But that isn't out of the ordinary for virtually any restaurant that. Isn't Domino's? So this really seems like a case where they're they're ditching at probably the worst possible time. I I, I just don't understand the logic here. And in general, with with a spinoff like this, where I don't think the business models are all that different. Uh, I, I think having this kind of diversification is actually a good thing over time because you'll have one concept that does well in certain quarters, like Jack in the Box. Now you'll have some that uh, do better, like Qdoba a few years ago, and. It's like okay, Chipotle getting spun out of McDonald's works so well for McDonald's. Right. So <laughs> let's do the same thing and spin out Qdoba. I just I, I have a hard time seeing the uh, the logic here because the implication that uh, Qdoba is pulling down the valuation of the overall business. It's like well, a couple years ago it was probably propping up the valuation when things were going really well. So now all of a sudden, now that things aren't rosy for Qdoba, which isn't a Qdoba-centric problem. This is an industry problem. It just makes no sense to have that be the main logic for looking to spin it out. Uh, the, the timing, I think, is really questionable. Well, and we touched on discounting before. And when you look at Qdoba's results, the company talked about how they have been doing some discounting. But I think that goes right in line with what you're saying. If you look at restaurants in general over the last 12 months, it's not like Qdoba is the only one out there doing discounting, trying to get people in the door. So I don't no. know. It just—it seems like they are. I don't want to call it a panic move because I because I don't I don't have a good enough sense of 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 this CEO and this management team to attribute that. So I'm I'm not calling it a panic move, but. It really does seem like they are not going to get the value out of this spinoff that they would have gotten if they had done this, or even contemplated doing it, twelve to eighteen months ago. Yeah, this really feels more like selling at the bottom. Like you're, yeah, it's probably not quite panic mode, but yeah, if you were interested in spinning it off, the time to do it is when things are doing really well. Which, uh, to McDonald's credit, I mean Chipotle, they they were knocking it out of the park. Their growth was phenomenal. Their numbers were phenomenal. So. McDonald's probably maximized their value to an extent with Chipotle, although I, I don't know if anyone at McDonald's really thinks that that was the best decision, given how Chipotle has succeeded. So, I, I, I think if anything, if I was Jack in the Box, I would first see like, okay, maybe we should shift the management or the strategy with uh, Qdoba, reevaluate that before you jump to spinning it off or selling it. Um, as a solution, because I, I think this kind of diversification makes sense. I mean, you see restaurants going out of their way to develop new concepts now, whether it's Buffalo Wild Wings, Chipotle, virtually every restaurant you can identify, even Red Robin, they have a, a fast casual concept they're developing. So, this seems to be bucking the trend at a bad time, and the strategy doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I'm glad you mentioned McDonald's because uh, they're in the news, not because of earnings, but because of the delivery that they have. Uh, been testing in a few locations in Florida, and they are now rolling out delivery in Los Angeles, Chicago, Phoenix, and Columbus, Ohio. Uh, they're doing it through Uber's Uber Eats 
service. And I'm I'm curious how you view delivery. And I think that you, to the point you made about uh, Salim Basul at Middleby and and his comments. And for those unfamiliar with Middleby, they 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 are in the mainly they're in the oven business. So chances are, if if you've gone out to eat in the United States in 2017, chances are your food was was prepared in a Middleby oven. And um, I I think he's he's definitely onto something. I mean, this is an industry he knows very well. So uh, I'm not going to disagree with him about how crucial delivery is going to be. From your standpoint, David, I'm curious where you think um, if you have a thought on what the better strategy is. Because in the case of McDonald's, uh, they're partnering with Uber Eats. You see, you know, some places that are opting to sort of build out this delivery network on their own. There are others. I mean, Grubhub. I mean, that Grubhub is essentially a business built on going to restaurants and saying, "Don't worry about delivery. We'll do it for you." And certainly, that stock is having a monster 2017. So, yep. I mean, is this is delivery? Um, do you see any particular strategy, be one being better than the other, or do you just look at it and say, "Look, delivery is important. How you execute is up to you, but you you better have a strategy." Well, there is some interesting discussion on this in Red Robin's conference call, where up to this point, Red Robin has used three of those third-party delivery providers, so they're not doing it on their own. Three separate ones. Three separate ones in about 138 locations, and the CEO said, "Seamless is not." How I would exactly describe our experience with those third-party providers because <laughs> uh, integrating them, uh, integrating those third-party providers with uh, their payment system, their ordering system, it's a little clunky. Uh, they they said the delivery times have often been not as promised, so that disappoints the the customers, and obviously that's not great for Red Robin's brand. So. Seems like right now at Red Robin, they basically said we're open to other alternatives because clearly what we're doing now with with these third-party providers isn't working as effectively as they would like. And I contrast that with Panera, which I think is a great example of a company that went from zero delivery and now they are just going all in on their own in-house delivery. And I I really think that's that's the model that will reward uh, these companies over the long term the most because you look at how. Domino's, which is just crushing it quarter after quarter, despite the restaurant slowdown. I think a huge part of that is because they developed their own point of sale system, essentially their own internal system to manage payments and, and orders, their own proprietary system. And Panera's started to do the same thing, and that just makes it a seamless experience for customers wherever you are in the the country or the city. Uh, you don't have to order through a separate delivery company. You don't have to change your payment information, especially have a loyalty program like Panera, which has 25 million members. It just makes it so much easier as a consumer when you have that consistent experience wherever you are. And I think it makes it a much stickier experience, too, when everything is done through the company. And that raises repeat orders, which is, at the end of the day, what these restaurants need to bump up their margins and volume. So, I think most companies probably won't go that route initially, because that that is the the tougher route. Because you do have to reinvent yourself, uh, especially if you are you know a casual diner like Red Robin or uh, just more of a fast casual company like Panera. So I think initially you're seeing a lot of uh, companies going with these third party providers, but at the end of the day, I think you, to maintain full control over the brand, the experience, and ideally building a loyalty program, which 
as we've seen with Starbucks and Panera and Domino's, like that's been a huge factor in their ongoing success despite the the restaurant slowdown. I, I think keeping keeping it in house, it's initially the harder move, but it, it's one that I think makes the most sense. But uh, it, it will be interesting to to see how it shakes out. But uh, yeah, I, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, it, it, as you said, it seems it's definitely the harder move. It also seems like if you do it right, it's the much more rewarding move. Yeah, if you can pull it off, and it really does require a reinvention. Like it can't just be a tack on, you know, item to to the business. And that that is one concern I have with Chipotle and some of the other companies that are just relying on these third party providers. I just don't see that being a consistent experience. That the economics of it don't really make a whole lot of sense for the company. Like. Uh, unless you have it going through your your own internal system, where you can uh, really promote like additional offers or something, uh, you, you don't want the uh, third party delivery orders to just be replacing people going into the store. Like where delivery gets very profitable is if people say, "Oh, I'll buy the the salad and the breadsticks in addition to the pizza." Like that's where you really get um, additional volume and, and your margins bump up. But if Someone's just buying the same thing that they would have gotten as they walked into the store. Like that's that's gonna that's gonna cost because these companies have to pay the, the third party providers who need a cut of that transaction. And that's some of the headwinds that Red Robin has run into. They just mentioned, yeah, the economics of delivery are not that great. On top of everything else, with you know the consistency of the experience, which have not been very consistent. So I, I like companies like Panera, uh, even though they're few and far between, that are deciding to just go all in and keep it in house. David Cressman, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.